A reading from Prophet Isaiah chapter 49, verses 13 through 18. Listen for God's word to us. Sing for joys, O heaven, and exalt. O earth, break forth, O mountains, into sing. For the Lord has comforted his people, and God will have compassion on our suffering ones. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child? or show no compassion for the child of her womb. Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I've inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Your builders outdo your destroyers, and those who laid you waste go away from you. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather, they come to you. As I live, says the Lord, you shall put all of them on like an ornament, and like a bride, you shall bind them on. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. So far in Advent, we have lit the candle of hope, the candle of peace, the candle of joy, and today we light the candle of love. Let us pray. God of hope, Prince of peace, source of joy and Lord of love. Your goodness is beyond our wildest imaginings. You give us more than we can think to ask. Teach us to love this world and all people as you love us in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, thank you Burns family for that scripture reading and that prayer. Well, Never Let Me Go is a science fiction novel by Kajwa Ishiguro. And in that book, Ishiguro writes of a couple named Kathy and Tommy. The pair attend the same English boarding school. And after an episode where Tommy is bullied, Kathy cares for him and the two develop a bond with each other. Around that time, there is a favorite song Kathy has on cassette. She'll listen to it sometimes and dance to the chorus, which goes, baby, never let me go. Kathy doesn't have living parents, the boarding school, its headmistress, the teachers, and the other students are the only family she knows. And you get a sense as she dances to that song that it speaks to an unmet yearning in her for someone who will, quote, never let me go. While Kathy and Tommy develop a strong mutual affection, another student, Ruth, ultimately comes between them. Ruth develops a relationship with Tommy. Kathy lets the pair pursue a life together, which they do. And after graduation, Kathy does not see Ruth or Tommy for a decade. When they finally do reconnect, Ruth is not well. Sometime later, Ruth passes. And Tommy then faces health issues himself. Kathy cares for Tommy. And she and Tommy rekindle a bit of the bond they had known before. One day, Tommy puts his arms around Kathy and says, I keep thinking about this river somewhere with the water moving really fast. And these two people in the water trying to hold on to each other, holding on as hard as they can. But in the end, it's just too much. The current's too strong. They've got to let go, drift apart. That's how I think it is with us, Tommy says. And you can almost hear that chorus to Kathy's favorite song playing in the background, Baby, Never Let Me Go. As Tommy says, he will not be 
the one to answer that call for Kathy. Kathy's not alone in yearning for someone who might hold her hand and not let her go when the current gets rough. All human beings, it seems to me, yearn not simply for affection, but for a kind of love that will not let you go, that will hold on to you through thick and thin, even if a mighty river rage. And yet we wonder, is there such a love out there for me? Even when couples pledge their love to one another in marriage, when they say to another, I promise to love you for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness or in health, as long as we both shall live, a part of them knows we are fallen, fallible human beings. Scripture calls our condition sin, this disease that makes us prone to making commitments and failing to keep them or finding our love for another that we pledged in all sincerity proves more transient than we had hoped. Or the other person's issues or faithlessness erodes our trust. Relationships started with the best of intentions can fall apart. And with that risk in the face of human sin, we wonder, can anyone answer that plea of my heart? Never let me go. When you get a glimpse of an unrelenting love, even for a moment, it seems the stuff of heaven. That's how the surgeon Richard Seltzer imagined it when he saw it on display in a hospital room. Seltzer was not only a surgeon, but he was a professor of surgery at Yale University. And he wrote about his experiences. He recalls a time he had to remove a tumor from the cheek of a beautiful young woman. In order to excise the growth, he had to sever one of her facial nerves. Not long after the operation, he visited the young woman. He noticed her mouth was now twisted, clownish with palsy, unresponsive. Her young husband was in the room standing on the opposite side of the bed. Will my mouth always be like this? The young woman asks Seltzer. Yes, he says it will. It's because the nerve was cut. The young woman nods and is silent, but the young man smiles. I like it, he says, it's kind of cute. All at once, Seltzer wrote, I know who he is, I understand, and I lower my gaze. One is not bold in an encounter with a god. Unmindful, he bends to kiss her crooked mouth and eye so close I can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate to hers, to show her that their kiss still works. I hold my breath and let the wonder in. Now, sure, it may be beyond hyperbole to call this young man a god. That statement is theologically problematic, if not downright heretical from a Christian standpoint. But when someone seems to answer the plea of our hearts, never let me go, if we get even a hint of that yearning requited, doesn't it smack of the divine? Doesn't it point to a love that seems greater than this broken, fallible, self-centered stuff we humans know all too well in ourselves and in others? So often in scripture, God's love for God's people is described as unrelenting, unyielding, the kind of love that can truly answer that plea in our hearts, never let me go. The prophet Jeremiah imagines the Lord appearing and saying to God's people, I have loved you with an everlasting love. We read in Lamentations, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. 
We read in Psalm 145, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. There's a story that Jesus tells of a wayward son who squanders his father's inheritance. And then when the son has spent his last penny on dissolute living, the father welcomes him back home with open arms. That is unrelenting love. The Apostle Paul described that love as we know it in Christ like this. I'm convinced neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The love of God, it would seem to answer that plea of our hearts, never let me go. But often we read in scripture, God's people wonder if God's love has abandoned them. In Lamentations, we hear this cry to God, why have you forsaken us these many days? That's the cry of Psalm 22, and it's such a classic lament from God's people that Jesus speaks it on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you let go my hand in the mighty rivers of this world's challenges? In today's passage from Isaiah that the Burns family read, we hear that classic lament, the Lord has forsaken me. We read, my Lord has forgotten me. That lament, scholars tell us, may recall a time in history that God's people knew exile for nearly 50 years after the fall of Jerusalem and Judah to the Babylonian Empire back in the 6th century BCE, former residents of Jerusalem and Judah were taken where they call out to God asking, why have you forsaken us? Circumstances can lead us to conclude a God we thought was loving has let go our hand when the current was strong and we're now adrift on a river alone or as the people of God were in the Babylonian exile in a time of exile. This cry from God's people in scripture, never let me go, is answered, however, in passages like the one read today. This is God's response as recorded in the book of Isaiah to that cry, never let me go. Can a woman forget her nursing child, says God? or show no compassion for the child of her womb. Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. In response to that cry from God's people, why have you forsaken me? God replies, I will never let you go. Today's passage from Isaiah imagines God as a loving mother, unrelenting in her commitment to those she considers her very own. It's a powerful image of commitment, a mother to a nursing child. It's hard to imagine a more poignant human metaphor to describe God's fierce love for God's people. In her book, The Dearly Beloved, Kara Wells writes of a mother named Lily and Lily's fierce commitment to her children. It's the kind of mother image that recurs through history and surely led Isaiah to imagine a mother in trying to describe God's unrelenting love for God's children. In the novel, Lily teaches literature in New York City back in the 1950s and 1960s. She's married to a Presbyterian pastor. 
Lily had suffered tragedy when she was a teenager. She lost both her parents to an automobile accident. And once Lily is finally able to have children of her own, we sense a determination in her not to allow her children to know the abandonment she herself felt when her parents left her. But one of Lily's twin boys begins acting strangely as he starts to grow. He screams whenever they try to bathe him, and this doesn't relent as he gets older. He starts moving and walking in an unusual fashion. He'll stare in one location for extended periods of time and repeat certain actions again and again. They bring him to a doctor, and the doctor says that the name that's increasingly given to the condition of her son is autism. The doctor says the way forward is clear. They must have their son put in a group home, an institution to protect him and them. Lily is livid. We wonder if she will do violence to the doctor right then and there. She does not, but she's determined to raise that child in her home. Since her son can't seem to enter her world, Lily tries to enter his. She finds what he likes and doesn't like and responds. She gets a young woman who's studying autism to work with him in their home. Lily puts up with anything her son can throw at her and tries to learn from that how best to reach out to him to speak his language. You get the sense she will do whatever it takes to show that son love, even if he might never be able to say, I love you to her in return. This fierce, unrelenting maternal love of Lily, that, Isaiah argues, that is the kind of love God has for God's people. No, Isaiah argues, even greater love God has than that. For human love can fall short. God's love does not. Well, just a short time ago, we celebrated the baptism of Elizabeth Dawn Burns, and while she is far too young to claim faith for herself, still we baptized her. Her own grandmother baptized her. And we do that because we want to lift up this symbolism in baptism that God's love for God's people, a people that includes Elizabeth, is like a mother's love for her nursing child. It's not dependent on even that child being able to say, I love you in return. It is steadfast, unyielding. It claims us and will never let us go. This is the kind of love we know in Jesus Christ, a love that came near to us in him, that led him to die for us, that we might be reconciled to God. That's the kind of love God has for God's people. That's the kind of love that claims Elizabeth already. And we pray one day she answers that claim by saying yes to Jesus Christ herself. We pray that one day Elizabeth answers the love of God extended to her by committing in return to love God and love her neighbor as herself. I pray along with you that she does just that. And I'm committed with you to raising her in the faith alongside Jason and Laura so that Elizabeth knows God's love for her in Christ and knows how Christians respond to that love with worship and service and justice and mutual care. But I'm grateful that whatever Elizabeth's future choices might be, God's love for her is unrelenting, steadfast, and unyielding. 
Well, one final word about this hymn that we're about to sing. Back on June 6th, 1882, a Scottish pastor named George Matheson had a day of mental anguish. He lifted up a cry to the universe that seemed like that plea of Kathy's from the Ishiguro novel, never let me go, never let me go. Matheson wondered if the cry would be left forever unanswered. It was like he was asking God, why have you forsaken me? It was the day of Matheson's sister's wedding. And this wedding brought back a painful memory for Matheson. Years earlier, he had been engaged to be married. He was preparing to have another person say to him in the vows of marriage, I will never let you go. But then Matheson was diagnosed with an untreatable eye condition. And his fiancee realized her husband-to-be was going blind. She told him she could not go through life with a blind man, and she broke off the engagement. Years later, on the day of her sister's wedding, those memories flooded Matheson, and he was overcome with grief. And then a song came to him, and he wrote it down. He would later write of that moment of inspiration like this. I'm quite sure that I completed the song in five minutes. I'm equally sure that it never received at my hands any retouching or correction. All the other songs I've ever written are manufactured articles full of revisions. This song came like a day spring from on high. The hymn he wrote that day was this, O love that wilt not let me go. May you and I know such love, and in gratitude for it, may we extend love to God and to neighbor that others too may see a love that will never let us go. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost.